If you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Daniel. It is found in the, the first main, there's really the Bible split up into two sections, an Old Testament and New Testament. So it's in the Old Testament if you're unfamiliar. Um, or do what I did back in the day, go to the table of contents and act like you knew where it was. You were just checking where all the other books were. Um, I, don't know if, I don't know if you've ever had trouble finding a book of the Bible and trying to fake it like you knew where it was the entire time. I have been there and I have been raised in church. But every once in a while, somebody says, open up to, like, the book of Amos, and you're, and you're kind of thinking, okay, I'm going to look to see where everybody else is opening up here. I used to have a, a joke I'd do with teenagers, say, open up the book of Hezekiah, and I would watch them flipping through frantically, and it's not in there. And the day I was preaching out of Obadiah, I'm like, open up to Obadiah. And this kid screams out, we're not falling for it. That's not a real book of the Bible. I'm like, I'm the worst youth pastor in history. <laughs> Oh, I'm so excited to just kick off a new series. I have been planning this one for, oh, it's got to be about a year or so. Um, I've never preached a series on Daniel in my life. In fact, I was looking, I was, I, whenever I preach on um, Dan, a, a book of the Bible or a character, I like to look through my, my normal preaching Bible because I date every message I've ever preached since I started here. And it has been since 2013 that we've preached out of Daniel, period, which seems like it's long overdue. But we're not doing a book overview. We're doing a character overview. So for five years, every September, we dive into a specific life, a character. And if you really want a great overview of the book of Daniel, um, you can actually go in the version notes. Don't watch the video right now. It would be weird having you play that right there where you're at. Um, but the Bible Project does great flyovers of books of the Bible. And we've included that on the version notes. So check that out. You can watch that later on YouTube. It's just a great little tool. Today we dive into a series that we're simply calling Empire. Why? You'll learn more as we read through the life of Daniel that Daniel, of, of all people, um, my best friend told me this past week, he says, I'd love you to point out a, another person in Scripture outside of Jesus where you look at their life and you say, you can't, like, you can't find anything wrong. Like this, most other if not all of the other characters of Scripture, the narrative that we have within Scripture, you can pinpoint moments of things where they probably could have done it a little bit better, but Daniel is one of those. It is incredibly hard to find them to do something wrong. And so we're just going to dive in and just ask God that God would just give us this revelation of this young man, teenager, that was thrust into an empire that was... Forced to make a number of decisions, not based upon what the empire's wishes were, but based upon who God was to him. And in the midst of this time that we find ourselves more than any other time, there is so much pressure to conform to this or to that, to them or to us, and we see lots of pressure that comes all around us. But this is a time, unlike any other, that it's time to see Daniels rise up. To see men and women of God stand in the conviction of who God is and who God has called us to be. Let's pray one more time. Spirit of the Lord, I thank you for your presence that has just been working in me. I think this morning, God, the prayer time this morning, Lord, I, 
I thank you, Lord, just that you have had this day saturated in prayer from the pre-service prayer over in the West Wing to our homes. God, Lord, I believe that you're going to do magnificent things in and through this series, not because of the vessel that's being used, but because of your kingdom that is at work, your spirit that is alive and changing us and transforming us. So, Lord, we just open up our hearts and open up our lives and say, Lord, we are available. That's my prayer today, Lord. Here I am. I am yours. I'm available. Speak to us and change us. In your name we pray. Amen. Most of my life I have grown up with nicknames. It's been rare that my friends or family have ever called me by my name. And usually if I'm called by name, I'm David Matthew, which means I'm in trouble. So uh, there you go. If you're ever mad at me, David Matthew, there's the way to start off. but I've, been, I've had nicknames forever, as far as back as I can remember. Even in kindergarten, uh, one of my earliest memories was the first nickname I got on the first day of school, which was shrimp, because I was the shortest kid in school. And I went home crying, and I was just shrimp for a little while. But when I think of just normal nicknames, uh, my dad always called me Ski. And I've had people say, is that because of, of your ethnicity? And I'm like, no, my dad says Ski is German for son until I learned a little bit of German, and guess what I learned? Number one, my dad can't speak German, and number two, ski does not mean son. (laughs) So for years, I'm talking all the way through like sixth grade, I was always ski. To this day, my Uncle Jeff still says, hey, ski, and it takes me a minute to say, oh, he still calls me that. I'm not 11 anymore, Jeff. I'm like 44 years old. But nevertheless, uh, I went from ski to the beef. Now, if you've never seen Leave It the Beaver, you have no idea who Jerry Mathers is or Leave It the Beaver, and therefore you need Jesus and need to watch Leave It the Beaver because it is classic. Or let's just be honest, classic until Beaver's voice changes and then it's kind of lame and he's whiny. But before that, best Leave It the Beaver. And so I was the bee for, I would say, three or four years until I got into high school, and all of a sudden, friends begin to transition as I joined football team, track team, all of the, all the other things that I begin to have my, my little tribes. And so one group started calling me Juan. Yes, like Pastor Juan, but they called me Juan, and that may not mean anything to you, but my last name, Berenger, kind of reminded them of a Detroit Tiger, Juan Berenger. All of a sudden, I was just Juan. I don't know. So... But then there's another group, which was primarily the football team, that called me Munster because apparently to them I look like Eddie Munster from the Munsters. And I'll admit there was another little group that called me Fred Savage because apparently I look like the kid from the Wonder Years. My entire life, I just want to be Dave. (laughs) Until I became a pastor, and now I'm a pastor Dave. I can't even be Dave anymore. Oh, I forgot about college, when all of a sudden they shortened my name to The Bear. I've got a Bible in my office for my college friends, just a little title on it, The Bear. In fact, when I was replaced as a youth pastor in Midland, Michigan, I was here. I got a phone call. I remember where I was over by the mall, and this guy, Keith, called me. He says, hey, I just got the position that you had. Talk to me about the pastor. Talk to me about the church. Tell me just how, how great these people are. And then we started talking. He said, where do you go to school? I said, Keith, I went to Central Bible College with you. Keith, I graduated with you. We only had 1,200 students. And he goes... How did I not? Did you know me? I said, Keith, of course I knew who you were. Everybody knew everybody. He goes, I don't even know who you are. I'm like, do you know who the bear is? He goes, I love that guy. That's a great guy. I'm like, that's me. We could talk about identities all day long, which we are. 
But there's something that we need to understand about identities, and I think the truth comes from this amazing theologian, W.C. Fields. W.C. Fields said this, it ain't what they call you, it's what you answer to. It ain't what they call you, it's what you answer to. As we kick off this series, this is the heart of today's message, is to understand identity. In fact, the title of my message is simply this, My Prophetic Identity. If you need a title, you like write it down titles and notes, write down the words, My Prophetic Identity. Because if there's anything I want to establish from the get-go of this series, is that God wants us to come to this understanding that we have an identity in Him, but in a world that is polarized by numbers of things, situations, uh, parties, um, beliefs, all sorts of things that linger out there. There are numbers of times that people have done their best to attach identities to me. They have attached an identity based upon my past or based upon my situation, based upon my economic status, based upon what they thought about me, based upon what they felt about me, based upon what they were offended in me. But I'm here to tell you that in the words of that great man, W.C. Fields, it is not what they call you, it's what you answer to. And I believe me that in this day more than ever that we as the body of Christ have got to stop bowing our knee to the identities that people have spoken over us and learn to bow our knee to the one that has spoken love, joy, peace, and forgiveness over our lives. We answer to the identity that God has given us. That's where I want our hearts to get into today. As we look into our prophetic identity, I want to make sure that in the midst of the empires of this world and even the empire that we live in, that we are a prophetic voice to our empire. See, it's just easy to point out everything that is wrong with this world because that's what critics can do. But let me tell you this, prophets, prophets will tell you what's right. Prophets will tell you who to look to. Prophets will tell you who to fix your eyes upon. And what we don't need is doomsday sayers in the place of the kingdom of God. We need people that are willing to say, hey, we see what's going on. We don't ignore the reality, but guess what? We are prophets that say, lift up your eyes and see where our redemption comes from. Because our redemption was never meant to come from an empire. It was meant to come from a kingdom. And on his kingdom, there will be no end. So, uh, Daniel chapter 1. I've got to get into this. I'm already five minutes into this. I haven't even cracked this thing open. Daniel chapter 1. What a phenomenal book. And we get to learn about this kid, Daniel. Verse 1. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judea, this is me, Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim and of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects of the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. A couple of things to note is number one is that out of some discipline that God allowed this to happen. Sometimes God allows bad things to happen. Sometimes things happen because they happen. And sometimes we're looking for so much blame, sometimes bad things happen. And then we get connected to this guy with an amazing name, um, Nebuchadnezzar. I would have hated to be kindergarten where you're trying to learn to write your first name for, for the first time. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Neb, some of you got introduced to Neb in VeggieTales. Any VeggieTales fans out there? There's a few of you. Oh, look at that. The gospel according to VeggieTales. Um, Nebuchadnezzar was an egomaniac to say the least. 
When you have to build a statue so that people honor you, you know you've got issues. He is the longest reigning king out of Daniel's lifetime. In fact, when you study the the person of Daniel and the entirety of the 70 years that he spent in Babylon, you'll see that he actually served for four different kings. This is the longest running king. This is the most powerful king. And Nebuchadnezzar in 606 invaded Judah and began to take captives out of Judah and begin to march them back to Babylon. Now, one thing they have to recognize is that that's not an easy little trek. This is not like Portage invaded uh, Pawpaw and marched them back 20 miles. This would have been a 900 to 1,000 mile journey back. You have conquered people, and now you're taking some of those conquered people back to your land because it really did two things. Number one, it proclaimed how mighty and strong you are, and secondly, it demoralized the people that you just invaded. And as we're about to read, is that he took from Judah the young, vibrant, royal, Standouts of their day. He wanted to take all of their leadership because he wanted to make a statement. The statement was this, is we took your today, and by taking all of your young leaders, we are taking your tomorrow. This is what the enemy would love to do to every single one of us. It's not just crush us in the moment. He wants to steal our future. In fact, look here, verse 3. The king ordered Ashpenaz, the, king, the chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and their other noble families who have been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, good-looking young men. And he said, make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and the literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine to his own kitchens, and they were to be trained for three years. And they would enter royal service. Daniel is one of these groups. Now, now commentators would say that these young men would have been roughly 15 to 17 years old, maybe even as young as 14 years old, that were basically stolen from their families, removed as they were Judah's future, and the future was pulled back and pulled away and taken into Babylon. And so we've got a situation where Daniel is a, he is a POW. Daniel is um, somebody dedicated unto the Lord. Daniel is only maybe 15 to 17 at max. And there is everything about Daniel that would give him excuse just to sit there and take what this empire was doing to him. But there is some resolve within Daniel that I love, that I want to challenge my own heart. And it's simply this, that Daniel didn't use his situation or his age as an excuse. It became a platform to show the goodness and the grace of God. And for so many of us, it is easy to say my situation is my excuse why I can't stand strong in conviction. Or my age is an excuse. I believe that God, God, God doesn't care about your age. God cares about your availability. God wants Daniels to rise up. I'm believing that now more than ever, there is a generation of, of Zers and millennials that are rising up, ready to proclaim the kingdom of God. And I say, instead of telling them to wait for their turn, tell them now is their turn. We say, what about the Xers? What, what about the boomers? What about beyond? Then you know what? It's still our time. Because telling somebody else it's their time doesn't say that we have to step back. That's the time where we stand shoulder to shoulder and we become Daniels in the middle of an empire proclaiming the goodness of God. But look at these characteristics. 
Now, there's some amazing characteristics, strong, healthy, good-looking young men. I'm eliminated. And make sure they're well-versed in every branch of learning. But look at this. Of all the things that kind of stuck out to me, I wanted to point out something specific here. It's verse number four. It says this. That they make sure these young men are gifted with knowledge and good judgment. Underline that. I think that's a big deal. Make sure these young men are gifted with knowledge and good judgment. I wrote this down earlier this week. It shows intellect to understand the times. It shows faithfulness to live them out. It shows intellect to understand the times. It shows faithfulness to begin to live them out. Pastor, have you noticed what's going on in the news? Have you noticed what's going on in the world? You know, I've noticed. It doesn't, it doesn't take a rocket science to notice what's going on in this world. But as we as believers of Almighty God, we're not here to just notice and have the intellect to understand what's going on in this world. We need the faithfulness of the believers to do more than just notice, but begin to live the kingdom out in every aspect of life. Because there's no other time that we've seen more polarizing. I'm so sick of that word, but it's the only word that really describes where we're at as a culture, is that we are at just a polarizing time from the pandemic to politics, race, school, etc., uh, masks, no masks. It is such a polarizing time. But let it be said of Daniel as it is said, uh, excuse me, let it be said of us as it was said of Daniel, that we as the body of Christ will be gifted with knowledge and good judgment. That we would be quick to understand people before we react to them. That we would be quick to love before we walk in judgment. Here's something very simple I used to teach in kids' church. If God gave you two ears and God gave you one mouth, what should you do twice as much as the other? We ought to be listeners before we're ever speakers. And even understand this. Daniel was studying a culture that wasn't his. They were, in fact, they were trained. Look at verse 4, 5. You're going to see Daniel was trained not how to be a better Jew in Babylon. He was trained in all of the culture, all of the books, all of the learning of somebody else's culture. And this is something that I am doing my best as a human being to lean into. I am learning this as I hear people with diverse opinions or diverse um, backgrounds, diverse nationalities. I love simply saying the words, talk to me, tell me your story, help me understand. Because far too often, I could be so fixated with my context that I could be slow to understand where people are coming from. And so I'm learning to be Daniel. What is your context? What is your background? Where are you coming from? Because when it comes to culture, we have numbers of options of how to attack culture and how to understand culture. In fact, I love what Mark Batterson says. Mark Batterson says there are four ways to embrace culture or to navigate culture. Number one, you can mindlessly consume culture. Two, you can pompously condemn culture. Three, you can lazily copy culture. Or four, you can conscientiously create culture. I love this. We can just consume it mindlessly. We can pompously just condemn it. We can lazily copy it. Or we could be Daniels that can rise up and begin to create culture. Because he could soak up what the Babylonians' culture said and still never compromise who he was in Jehovah God.
In fact, this thing escalated in his life so much. Look at verse 20. Whenever the king consulted them, who's the them? He's talking about the, the, the four Hebrew boys that are going to stand out. We're going to talk about them, including Daniel. Whenever he consulted the four Hebrew boys in any matter requiring, requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them, what, ten times more capable than any of his magicians or enchanters in his entire kingdom. Man, the, the favor of God rested upon them, not because they ignored culture, but but they decided that they were going to establish culture, that we can live in a place but not have to be of the place. We can be in the world but not of the world. In fact, I'm going to read you. I wrote a prayer that I have been praying over this congregation for this series. I'm going to give it to you up on the screens. It simply says this. It's may the Holy Spirit be in your life and on your life to take you from the best you could do to the best God can do. This has been my prayer for all of you. I've been using them, and then I've been making a personal you. Lord, may you just take that which was in Daniel and put it in us, not so we can be the best that we can be, but through the Spirit of God at work in our life, that we can be the best God can be through our lives. God, be in us, be upon us, be in us, be upon us, that wherever we would go, that people would see God through our lives. Verse 6 through 7, the plot thickens. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen from all of the tribe of Judah. The king of the staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, Azariah was called Abednego. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to him by the king. And he asked the chief of staff permission to not eat these unacceptable things. Now, before I get into that, because that's actually going to get into next week's message. I don't have time for that. I'm going to stop because that, there's a portion that many of us could just read over not thinking much about it, especially when you grew up in church with a flannel graph and you heard about these four Hebrew boys and their name changes and they put the little things on the flannel graph and then immediately we start talking about they didn't want the king's food, they asked for permission to not eat the king's food. We miss out on something so peculiar and it's the changing over of these names. These these Babylonian names, in fact, could you put those up on the screens? These Babylonian names are, are a big deal because the name Daniel means God is my judge. Belshazzar, his new name means the divine lady or Bel protects the king. Hananiah, excuse me, Misha, Hananiah means the Lord is gracious. I'm, I'm get, I got to look at my notes here so I go in order here. Hananiah means Lord is gracious, unto Shadrach, the command of Aku. Mishael means one who is like the Lord, turns into Meshach, one who, one who is what Aku is. Azariah, the Lord is my helper, turns into Abednego, servant of Nego. Now, again, it's not pronounced Abednego. For some of you getting irritated with me right now, it's Abednego. That's the way to pronounce it. Had a fight with my mother-in-law about that, and I won finally for the first time. But look, at there is something transitioning here. In the culture in these Hebrew men, and something that's actually trying to get replaced. Because in the biblical narrative, names are important. 
But there is a reason why these Babylonians, the empire, wanted to change the name. Why? I'll give it to you in this way. Identity drives activity. Identity drives activity. And when you know who you are, you know what you need to do. Identity, what you are known by and what you live by more specifically drives the activity that you live the rest of your life. That you, it's the way you conduct yourself. That's why I believe that when we're Christ followers, when we call ourselves Christ followers, we live not in that identity, but from that identity in everything that we do. It's the reason why when we do baby dedication, uh, when we have babies up front, what do we do? We just, we lay hands upon them, we anoint them with oil, and we, we begin to speak over them what I believe is a prophetic identity. We like to look up their names, and we like to speak prophetically over their life, not what God is in them now, but where God wants to lead them in the future. So when we look at those names, if you could put those names back up for us, the question comes, who is Bel, who is Aku, and who is Nego? Those are three names that have come up here, Bel, Aku, Aku, and then Nego. The answer is quite simply this, they are three Babylonian gods. So when you look at what the names meant in Hebrew, God is my judge, the Lord is gracious. Um, who is like unto the Lord? The Lord is my helper. It's as if the Babylonians are saying, listen, I know who you said you are, but we're here to replace who you used to be with who you are so we can dictate where you are going. This is nothing new. This had been going on for centuries. Whenever slaves were taken, the name, new names were given as if to erase their present identity, get rid of their past, and to give them a new destiny. Unfortunately, within the atrocity of slavery in America, this is actually what happened here on our soil. The idea of, let me give you this name or our name as if to give you a new place to tell you who you are and where you're going to go. And this is the place where we can look at the words of W.C. Fields all over again. It ain't what they call you, it's what you answer to. Because we can either identify with what people said of us or we can step into the destiny that God has called us into. This is the place here in Daniel. And this is the resolve that Daniel says, that says, listen, you can call us what you want, but guess what you can't change? It's really who we are. You see, the cure for the labels people want you to wear is knowing your true identity in Jesus Christ. Man, let me say that again. The cure for the labels that people want you to wear, the cure for the labels that people want to place upon you, the cure for the labels and the names that people want to speak over your life, the cure for that is knowing who you are in Christ. And I love that pre-Christ in the Old Testament that Daniel knew who he was in Jehovah God. And therefore, call us what you want. That's not what we answer to. We answer to who the Lord is. And that's what the devil would love to do within our lives is to get us to answer to identities that are not us. He wants to give us a false identity wrapped around cultural icons. And I mean, when we look at these names, we understand that these names were sacrificed idols. And what these four Hebrew boys did not want to do necessarily, specifically Daniel, Daniel himself said, I am not going to live my life and an identity that's been sacrificed to an idols. But I'm here to say that's really no different to what we experience today. Because I think quite often we as the church can often sacrifice our identities on the altars of other things. Maybe it's not Bel, Aku, or Nago. But it's my fear that we let our identities go on other altars. 
I began to pin some things out this past week, and, I, and I'm, and I'm going to kind of read out a statement here that I hope you hear my heart. Today we are sacrificing our identity in Christ, not on the altars of Bel, Aku, or Nego, but on, the alt- on other altars. Some of us have sacrificed our identities on the altars of past mistakes, on the altars of unforgiveness, on the altars of envying what somebody else possesses, on the altars of our kids' successes and failures. We sacrifice our identities on the altars of social media, on the altars of other people's offenses, on the altars of someone else's opinions, on the altar of our personal freedoms. We sacrifice identity on the altars of the Republican or Democratic Party, on the altars of individual, individual political issues. And I recognize that there are a number of polarizing issues in our cultural climate, especially in politics. But I need you to hear my heart as your pastor, whether you're watching live here or live on Facebook or maybe watching later. Hear my heart that we must be careful to not to sacrifice the, the gospel on the altar of political convictions. Let me say that again. Let us make sure that we are not sacrificing the gospel on the altar of our political convictions. For example, the staff at K-First is pro-life. But how we handle that conviction is just as important as the belief itself. Let me say that clear. We are pro-life, but how we handle that conviction as a leadership is just as important as the actual conviction. And I recognize that not everybody in this room or even watching from home holds the same persuasions for life as we do, but we choose to embrace one another in the love of, in the unity of Christ Jesus. So everybody who is pro-life, let me ask this. Can we be united in Christ and yet have room for different political outlooks and opinions? To all of us, can we, whether you're pro-life or pro-choice, to all of us, can we, can we come together in Christ and be at peace with brothers and sisters who have different positions than we do? Because we know not everybody here can come to mutual agreements on issues like defense, immigration, environment, gun rights, welfare, law enforcement, or a personal pet peeve, I believe there should be a federal law banning the designated hitter rule in baseball. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, can we lay down our differences and embrace the oneness we have in Christ? Because if we don't stand in solidarity while holding different convictions, the unity in the body of Christ will be splintered on the altar of our political convictions. And brothers and sisters, this should not be. We will be known as disciples of Jesus by our love. And who we are in this world, we're Daniels, which means that we are in this world, but we're not of this world. Daniel was in Babylon, but he wasn't of Babylon. And that's what God is calling us to be, is to live in our prophetic identity. It's who does God say I am? And we live strong in that place. That's why Paul says in the book of Ephesians, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So therefore, stop living down to what's happened to you. 
Stop living down to what someone has labeled you. Stop living down to what people think about you and start step up and live into what God says about you. Live in your prophetic identity. Remember what people have spoken over your life. I remember years of Sunday school teachers and people speaking things over me and I cling to those things. I remember pastors and youth pastors speaking over me, prayer team members speaking over me. I cling to those things. Why? Because there are moments that my flesh rises up and wants to tell me my identity is nothing more than who I was, nothing more than the past of my, and my pain of my past, nothing more than what people have said about me on social media, nothing more than what people think about me. But I'm here to tell you that I live in a prophetic identity that simply says, God says, this is who you are and this is what you are to live in. Well, Pastor Dave, I know what God spoke over me, but I haven't seen it yet. Welcome to the club. We've got t-shirts. Step into who God says who you are and live that thing out until you see it come through into fruition. That, my friends, is a prophetic identity. Daniel didn't see the fruition at 15. Why? Because he was 15. And he needed to live it out. And he outlasted four kings. He outlasted being a, a prisoner of war taken to a pagan nation. He outlasted lion's dens. He outlasted rumors. He outlasted slander. He outlasted people writing blogs about him. He outlasted all of that because when God rises, the, king, the, the enemy is scattered. This is who we are. And if we'll learn Daniel, how Daniel lived this out, as we'll learn in the rest of the series, you gotta keep coming back. Daniel lived this out in every aspect. Not just in the big things, but also in the small things. You see, if you compromise your identity anywhere, you will eventually compromise it everywhere. Daniel learned not to compromise it in the small stuff. I'm going to learn about this culture because they need a kingdom too. I'm going to learn about these people. They need the kingdom too. They can call me what they want. I'm going to be the kingdom anyways because that's where it all begins. And that's where it all ends. This week, I'm going to actually challenge you to do a couple things. And I know I'm going a little bit longer than I plan on today, so please forgive me. Two things I'm going to ask you to do is, number one, I would challenge you, if you've never looked up your name, do some research on your name and take that to your prayer closet. Do that with your kids. We did that with our kids. I remember looking up the name Cameron, and we looked it up and said, crooked nose. I'm like, that should not be the name of her. No, no, no. And so we started to, we did more research and we found out it meant righteous and noble. Do you want to know what I've been praying over her life? She turns 21 next month. Holy cow, that's a reality check right there. She turns 21. And you know what I've been praying for 21 years over her life? Is that everything that she does would be marked by being righteous and noble. Righteous and noble. And I've watched that be born out of her life as I would just begin to speak a prophetic identity over her. Some of you need to start speaking prophetic identities over your kids. Look up your spouse's name. Speak that over your spouse. Begin to get scriptures written out that connect to those names. Begin to speak that over your spouse. Begin to speak that over your, the culture that we live in. Begin to speak that over your politicians. Some of us are so busy praying for them to change that we've never spoken blessing. Shame on us for not blessing our politicians. Let's speak blessings. Let's speak prophetically over them. God raised up a prophetic people that does more than identify the times, but we are faithful in the midst of that. The second thing I'm going to ask you to do is not just know a prophetic identity, but live it out. I give credit to J.P. Dorsey. He's one of my best friends. I told him I was going to change one word in this so I can claim it. It's mine, but it's his. He says, being a prophetic people in the middle of an empire 
The church has always been called to be a prophetic community to witness through speech and behavior against prevailing sins, structures, and brokenness of the existing culture. Therefore, since it is a time of anger, let us be a people of peace. Since it is a time of hatred and disdain, uh, let us be a people of love and kindness. It's a time of division, so let us be a people of unity. It's a time of bombast and hyperbole. Let us be a people of well-rounded truth. It's a time of discard and abandonment. Let us be a people of committed to and be faithful to others. It's a time of polarization and overly simplistic reductionism. Let us be a people of nuance and meaningful discourse. It's a time of issue, selective myopia. Let us be a people of the big picture. It's a time of groping for power. Let us be a people grasping for a towel. It's a time of hurt. Let us be a people who heal. For no matter the outcome we are working towards, if the, if the means, the power, the structures, the methodologies, the treatment of people, etc., we employ to achieve are in alignment with the prevailing sinful culture, it is questionable whether or not we can be a part of the solution. Ladies and gentlemen, let's be a part of the greater solution for the kingdom. For thine is the power. For thine is the glory. For thine is the kingdom. For thine is the power. For thine is the glory. Could we do this? Could we just stand for the next minute or two? Let's just all stand together. Even if you're at home, I would invite you to stand. I'd invite you to close your eyes. I'd invite you, if you feel comfortable, lifting your hands. And Pastor Abby is just, just going to help us end the service by leading us in this simple prayer of this song.